listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Bach Week. Yes. And we get to continue our conversations in the Set Apart to Serve series. While we couldn't have a conversation with J.S. Bach about being a cantor <gasps> That'd be and amazing. church worker, which would be pretty awesome. We'd we have, have to break some l- rules of physics, though. It might be a little challenging. <laughs> Time. Time, like, space, stuff. Continuum. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we are going to talk with a cantor much like Bach, mm-hmm. who also knows something about Bach as well. Yes. So we'll have that conversation in just a moment. <laughs> Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us today, Cantor Matthew Mockamer of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Cantor Mockamer, thanks for joining us today. Great to be back with you, Andy and Sarah. We are looking forward to digging into a couple of things, what it's like to be a cantor or in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We also use the nomenclature director of parish music. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And where, where the the connection to Bach, since it's Bach week as well, mm-hmm. Bach being a cantor, I'm sure that you have some insights on that for us as well. But let's first talk about your path into becoming a, a church work professional, a, a church musician. When did you start considering a career in church music? Well, I think for me that happened pretty early on. My, my parents are both church workers my mom's a Lutheran school teacher. My father is a DPM, is a church musician, and has been for his entire career. So I kind of grew up with it all around the house. And I just I just loved it. I was always listening to the things that my dad was playing or listening to the choir. In my middle school years, I got snarky and I would critique him, you know, whether he wanted that, that, that critique or not. But no, I, I had just have these memories, even from an early age, sitting up in the balcony, watching him play, or I would right in the middle of a brass group, right, you know, I think at three or four, one, one day my mom brought me for a choir warm up and I warmed the choir up. I directed them from my little stool. <laughs> so when I, when I got to the end of my high school time and I was considering where and what I wanted to do as a career and where I wanted to pursue that. I kind of came to the realization that I couldn't really think of doing anything else. And I I knew I wanted music to be a part of my life. But at that point, at about 18 or 19, I thought, you know, I think I would like to do this as a career. And why would I do anything as a career if it wasn't in the church? So church music for me was really, that was when I kind of made the conscious decision to pursue it professionally. So then what was your path once you were at that deciding point? age 18, thinking about where, where to go to college, how did you, how to actually pursue that? What was your path then? Yeah, that's a good question because there are a couple of ways into that. For me, I wanted to kind of go all the way and and kind of take away any roadblocks to serving as a church musician, no matter what kind of Lutheran church I was serving at. So I went to Concordia, then River Forest, now Chicago. And instead of actually pursuing the DPM, the director of parish music degree, after some conversations with some of the music faculty there, I decided to pursue a bachelor of music education. It was a little bit of a busier degree, but it was extremely comprehensive. And then I I supplemented that with some composition lessons, organ lessons, lots of ensemble work, because I wanted 
to not have, again, any roadblocks to serving any type of Lutheran parish. So I thought if I'm in a place with a school, which I would love to be, I want to have that education side so that I'm well-equipped to teach in the school as well as to teach and work on the church side of things. So for me, that was my path. I, I came to all of that kind of late. I didn't even start studying organ until the summer after my senior year of high school. And I had my dad, after some begging, he gave me some crash course lessons so I could learn one piece to play for my audition at Concordia. So I wouldn't look dumb. And, you know, so I, I was kind of a late bloomer with all of those things, but it was great. It was wonderful. And so then after graduation, you know, going through the Concordia system, they helped me secure my first call and work with Synod to do all of those things. So that's not the only path into this vocation, but that was the path that I chose. You mentioned starting Oregon really right after high school. When did, or what were some of the other experiences you had with music early on other than observing your parents? Were you in choir? Did you play piano or another instrument? Yeah, all the things. Uh, I, I did start piano very young. I started at about five years old. By the time I got to seven or eight, my parents started having me study with a woman from our congregation instead of with my dad. And so I took piano lessons off and on from five all the way to the end of high school. I did solo and ensemble things for piano. And I also learned trombone and played that in band in middle school and high school. I played the bass guitar in our jazz band in high school. I played handbells at church. I sang in the choir all the time. I think in high school, I was in a maybe four different choirs at once or something like that. So while I got to the organ late, I was swimming in that musical world for as long as I can remember. Well, since it's Bach week, uh, in what grade did you begin composition as well? What, what, what grade did you begin composing <laughs> as well? Gosh, I wish that was earlier too. So I, I started composing or started trying to compose seriously in the realm of church music when I got to Concordia into college. I had dabbled in some composition stuff before then. I did mention that I played bass guitar in our jazz band. I had a brief and maybe regrettable stint as a bass guitarist and lead singer for like five or six months in like a, a, a weird kind of like alternative punk rock band that my friends and I formed. Nice. There was some music writing that happened with that. I don't know if I would call it composing necessarily, but you know, huh, there was some of that too. But really in high school, I started, you know, dabbling with either writing things for this band that we, that we formed or writing these, you know, kind of little piano pieces that I could play and stuff like that. But I really began getting interested in composing for the church right around like senior year of high school and then really, really as a freshman and following in court. Yeah, we've sung some of your pieces and performed some of some of your stuff. So I'm, oh, I'm, glad, well, I'm glad you dabbled in that a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much. It's always nice to know that stuff can be useful. So. <laughs> so this was something that was on your mind since you were a little kid. It was something that that wasn't a really hard decision to know that you wanted to do music as as a vocation. Were there doubts or roadblocks, things you had to overcome to, to pursue this along the way, things that were challenges that you had to, to kind of get through? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think for me, at least, 
there's been kind of two types of challenges or two types of roadblocks or struggles. And some of those are the kind of the personal subjective things I think that we all deal with on some level. And then there are other, you know, kind of more objective struggles. So for me, while I was always kind of enamored with music, you know, I mentioned that by the end of high school, I had kind of come to this realization. But leading up to that point, I was still kind of thinking, what are the things I'm interested in? What do I like to do? And for a long time, as an adolescent, I was like, well, I'm not going to do something. There were about two or three years in there. That I thought, I'm not doing anything with music because that's what my folks have done. And I want to establish myself as somebody different, you know. Mm-hmm. And then by 18, I was like, you're dumb. You actually enjoy this for yourself. You should do this, you know, not because of your upbringing or whatever, but because this just seems like the right thing for you to do. And so that was kind of the initial roadblock. But for me, at least, I I still struggle with this a little bit. And as a younger professional, a lot, this idea of kind of measuring yourself up to somebody else. And musicians, I think, particularly are prone to that type of comparison. There's always somebody out there who's better than you are, at least in your own mind. There's always somebody out there who's more talented or has maybe a more glamorous position or has had more success in their career by whatever metric you measure those things. And for me, especially in the first maybe 10 years post-graduation, that was a real big challenge. And I still deal with that now, you know, and and that also communicated itself not only into my own capabilities as a musician, but that I thought, you know, if something didn't go totally right in the classroom or in a service, I thought, well, how did I teach that insufficiently? This has to be some sort of deficiency in, you know, my approach to pedagogy or how I structured this rehearsal, or maybe I just didn't pick the right music for this day. And, and now I've started to kind of trust my instincts a little more, draw on some of those experiences, but also take, you know, when things don't go right, or I, I find somebody that's really good X, Y, or Z, and I see that as a sufficiency in myself, take that more as an opportunity to ask questions, get better at something, you know, how can, how can I use this to make it better next time? Or what did it quite go right here? How can I fix that for next time? And focus more on just making the experience for the people that I'm serving and teaching or for myself better just by learning and and taking kind of the subjective comparisons out of that equation. And that's just been so much better. You know, and the only other kind of significant challenge I, I think might be worth mentioning is that serving in the church is hard. And a lot of people who do it are kind of type A perfectionist people, and I'm one of those people. So you have to have that inner battle. But there's also, it's it's hard externally too. You know, sometimes churches aren't the most glamorous places to serve. Sin is real. People in the church struggle with sin. Sometimes that will affect you as a professional or as a worker in the congregation. And you can you can become discouraged or you can feel a little bit underappreciated to put it mildly or you you find yourself in a situation where the church just for whatever reason is going through difficult times and that is the time where the Lord has sought to or the Lord has seen fit to place you in that parish and in all of those opportunities too that can be a very big struggle 
But at the same time, those are the times where the Lord calls us to faithfulness and strength and trust. And I found when I've had those moments in my own career, that those are also the times where the Lord has been with me the most and has given me the right words to say at the right time and and to continue to serve people, even in the midst of those kind of struggles that the church or individuals may be having in their lives. And so it's it's that's a difficult part of it, but that's also one of the most impactful parts, I think, as well. We are continuing our conversation in the Set Apart to Serve series, and it is Bach Week. So we are talking with Cantor Matthew Bachmer of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is our it is Bach Week. Yes. And today is also our set apart to serve conversation for the week. We are talking with Cantor Matthew Mockmer of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, about what it's like to be a director of parish music. We also use that the term cantor for mm-hmm. uh, those who serve as church musicians quite often as well, for those who are leading church music specifically. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the duties you have as a cantor or a director of parish music, both at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne and, and maybe in a parish setting as well. Absolutely. Well, specifically here at the seminary, my duties are many and various. I do a lot of work with our students, specifically in the realm of singing, though not exclusively. On any given year, I I conduct four or five different choral ensembles here on campus. I also work with our students who are instrumentalists and, and you know, not only helping them hone their skills, but then giving them an opportunity to use them in our daily chapel services. Lots of playing for chapel and other services. Lots of planning, hymn planning, liturgical planning, planning for special music, things like that. And some teaching as well. In our seminary here at Fort Wayne, we have two classes that our students take in liturgics in worship, and in conjunction with at least one of those classes every year, there is a lab where students actually have kind of vocal class with myself or Cantor Hildebrand, my colleague, and we split them up into groups of four or five and have four or five labs with them over the course of a quarter where we'll go over kind of some singing basics, introduce them to portions of the liturgy and the hymnody, and just try to get them more comfortable with their voices and more comfortable leading the church's song from the front of the church as opposed to participating it, participating in it from the pews, which is what they're more accustomed to when they come to us, typically. There's a lot of composing as well. That's more on a need-by-need basis. I don't think that's necessarily a prerequisite for being a church musician. 
but I have found that helpful in my own service. And I think a lot of those things take place also in a parish. I don't do a lot here that I didn't do in in a parish setting before I arrived at the seminary. The only thing that I do a little bit less of is working with students and kids specifically. But in the parish, again, that's that's kind of, I think, the main point of having a cantor or a church musician is to have someone who can lead and direct the overall musical aspect of your congregation. And so that often expresses itself in rehearsing folks, organizing ensembles, playing, leading the singing in church, and then leading kind of the efforts of music education in a school if you have a school attached to your church. What do you find most rewarding about doing all of this work? I mean, you are immersed in music all day, every day. So, I mean, it's something that you enjoy, obviously, but what what are some of the most rewarding parts of what you get to do every day? Well, I think probably the most rewarding is being able to work with people. And I think that really, you know, I had a conversation just this morning that was really quite insightful and brilliant where we're talking about, I was talking with one of our professors and and he said, you know, I think the difference between using the word cantor and the word musician is that when you're a cantor, you're thinking about the people of your congregation primarily. And when you're a musician, maybe you're thinking about the instrument. So I'm an organist. I play like this great big organ. Let me tell you about the organ. Or I'm a cantor. I help to lead the people in the liturgy, in the singing. I help them to make the song of the church their own. So anytime that I get to do that, it's good. You know, whether that's just simply playing a hymn and having the congregation sing along, or it's, you know, we have a children's choir here on campus. If I'm helping children learn music and appreciate the liturgy, if I'm working with guys, I mean, anytime that I get to work with folks and help them participate in music making for themselves in a church context, that's the best. So, and that expresses itself in so many different ways throughout the week, but that's the best. You gave us a, a great example of one of the distinctions of the, the term cantor. Where does this term come from and, and when did we start using it as a church? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a little bit of ambiguity, I think, in the term because sometimes it can refer to just perhaps a soloist who is serving a liturgical function of like leading or helping facilitate the singing of a certain piece of music. More broadly, it refers to someone who is kind of tasked with leading the church's song in a general sense, whether that's in my context, like at an institution or in a parish. You start seeing the term pop up a lot right around the the time of the Reformation. The first kind of Lutheran cantor would be Johann Walter, who worked very closely with Martin Luther and helped kind of proliferate the Reformation through song. And again, like we're talking about this week, Bach is kind of the epitome of the Lutheran cantor. But you have others who who come before Bach and also occupy a pretty important role in that. So the term cantor is is a little bit more of a churchly term, and it does focus more on someone who helps facilitate good singing and participation in the liturgy and in the service. So it has a liturgical focus to it in that sense as well. 
Where do you see Bach's influence in the role of the cantor, the things that that cantors that you get to do every day? Where do you see that influence in in this life, in this vocation? Sure. I I was thinking about this, and I think, at least for myself, one of the biggest influences that I see kind of carrying over from Bach is, you know, Bach is kind of the quintessential musician or composer or you know, anything for anyone in the musical world, you know, everyone will say he is among, if not the most gifted musician who's ever lived. And this is a man who chose to spend his, his life in pursuit of, and then ultimately in service of the church. Bach's first few positions, not first few, but for several positions as a musician, were not primarily as a cantor or a church musician, but by his own by his own interest and and the way he expressed himself, he was always looking for that. He was looking for a position where he could, in his own words, kind of pursue a well-ordered, a well-regulated church music. That's what he wanted to do. And so I think what's most fascinating about Bach is that he has taken this immense talent that he had, and his his main goal was the use of that talent within the church to facilitate the praise of God in the congregation, which ultimately found its expression in Leipzig when he arrived there, arrived there in the 1720s, and that's where he would spend the rest of his career. And so, you know, for me at least, I think the most important thing that Bach gives the church's cantors is the realization that the most, the highest the, the most important thing that you can do with that ability is to use it in service of God and your fellow man in whatever capacity you find yourself. You know, you may not have the type of trained singers that Bach had, or you may not have the compositional ability or, or the keyboard prowess or something that Bach had, but you, are, you take what you have been given and you use it with the people that you have been given to serve in the best possible way. And if you distill Bach's work down, I think that's one of the big things that I would take away from his service. How might your experience as a director of parish music, a cantor, be useful in talking with others about becoming church workers? I, I, obviously, you're at an institution where you get to form <laughs> church workers all the time. You get to be a part of that that formation yeah. of church workers. But even outside of the institution and the conversations that you have or those who might be visiting as prospective students, how do you get to, how does your experience help you talk with them, especially about being future directors of parish music? Absolutely. You know, I'm always struck by the camaraderie, especially when I get a chance to talk with other Cantors, other DPMs around the Synod, I'm always struck by the camaraderie between those folks, the common encouragement, the common realization that what's most important in this service is, again, providing for the needs of God's people through music. And so when it comes to encouraging other people to look at a vocation like this, I would say that it's really the pastoral use of music. You have a unique opportunity to care for people with tunes, with texts that can speak to them in a way that most things can't. And that's really, I think, what's most fascinating and wonderful about this vocation is that you, to be a pastoral musician, you get to care 
for people using the gift of music. And so, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. Sometimes it can be challenging. And, you know, as our churches change and adapt to an ever-changing world, you know, that may look different than it looked 20 years ago or 100 years ago or five years ago. But the point remains the same. You are given to care for God's people in music. And so that's what I would say to anyone who's considering this. You know, if you if you feel yourself really drawn to being a musician, but, you know, you find your home in the church, this might be something for you because you have to put those two things together. You can't simply be a good musician. You have to be a good musician who has a heart for caring for your congregation. And But at the same time, that's the best thing I think that you could do with your time. I'm a little biased, but, <laughs> you know, I don't know what else you would want to do with your time. So. <laughs> well, you could learn more about serving as a director of parish music and other ways to serve in the church as well by visiting lcms.org slash SAS to learn more about Set Apart to Serve. Our guest today, Cantor Matthew Mockamer of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Thank you so much for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golsack. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.